from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is Ag Day. Watching grass grow. Turf grass breeding programs were originally developed in order to develop forages for cattle. Why the real star of the Super Bowl this weekend may be right under the player's feet. A piece of history is shutting its doors. It's going to be a direct hit. There ain't no question about that. What the closure of a sugar plant in Montana will mean to farmers and the community. As lawmakers start to dig in on plans for a new farm bill. The risk in farming has never been greater. Why some say they need to get a plan in place right now, this morning on Ag Good morning, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Will a new farm bill get passed this year? Now, some lawmakers say it must happen because the current farm bill can't be extended. The Senate Ag Committee holding a hearing, getting the ball rolling with several key farm agency leaders. Ag Day's Michelle Rook joins us with those details. Clinton, a lot has changed in the agricultural industry since the 2018 Farm Bill was written. That was the theme throughout the Senate Ag Committee's Farm Bill hearing. The consensus is that the farm safety net is inadequate for the nation's farmers and ranchers in the current volatile environment. At the same time, Congress is spending more dollars on ad hoc assistance, and that's not sustainable. Senate Ag Committee Chairman Debbie Stabenow says Congress has passed nearly $70 billion in ad hoc disaster assistance outside of the farm program since 2018. She wants that corrected in the new farm legislation. She also charged the committee to look at risk management program enhancements to make payments equitable and work for every farmer of every size in every enterprise. There are still gaps in the farm safety net as farmers continue to face global market uncertainty and climate-fueled weather disasters. We need to work together to create a farm safety net that is responsive to the needs of all of our farmers. Crop insurance is the number one risk management tool for producers, but historically hasn't been available to some farmers who are most in need of it. Ranking member Senator John Bozeman says climate change and nutrition programs have seen dramatic increases in funding while farm safety net resources have dwindled. He says last year the reconciliation process added $38 billion in funding to conservation, rural development and the like, but didn't do anything to bolster the farm safety net. The risk in farming has never been greater. Farm production costs are estimated to be $460 billion this year, a record that tops last year's record. Crop prices are likely to decline in the coming years, but prices for many of our major commodities would have to drop sharply before the current Title I price loss coverage safety net would start to work. The senator says corn prices would have to decline by 46% before farmers would receive assistance under the current program, and that's true of many commodities. So there is a need for an update of reference prices and revenue levels to trigger farm program payments. Senators on the committee also addressed many other areas that need to be tweaked or changed in the next Farm Bill. They reiterated the need to get new legislation passed before the current Farm Bill expires and that an extension will not be adequate in the current market and geopolitical environment. All right, thanks, Michelle. We told you about this earlier this week. The Sydney Sugars plant in northeast Montana is closing later this year. The company saying interest in growing beets there is waning, but as Michael Anthony of KFYR reports, farmers say there is more to the story. For nearly a century, sugar beets have been the lifeblood of Sydney and Richland County. That lifestyle took a hit this week when it was announced that Sydney Sugars would be closing this April. 
This was devastating news for Houston Scarborough, who has hauled sugar beets and helped many farmers around the region. And I've got a lot of friends right now that are unemployed and don't know what they're going to do. My neighbor, he's been a sugar beet farmer his entire life. His dad has grown sugar beets his entire life, and his grandfather grew sugar beets his entire life. Now they don't even have a factory to haul that into. That's almost a hundred-year-long legacy that just disappears. The closing also has severe consequences for the city of Sydney. I mean, it's going to be a direct hit. There ain't no question about that. For those outside of Richland County, this announcement came as a surprise. But for locals, the writing has been on the wall for years. Jeff Bieber, president of the Montana-Dakota Beet Growers Association, said negotiations with Sydney Sugar's parent company have resulted in a lower profit margin for farmers. The growers have had tens of millions of dollars taken from their beet payments in these contract negotiations. Sydney Sugar's chief operating officer, Stephen Rosano, said that the closing was because farmers aren't growing enough beets, but Scarborough disagrees. They have pushed us out, and it's, they, they just put hundreds of people and their families out on their rear ends so that they can turn a bigger paycheck at the end of the year. We've reached out to Sydney Sugar's for further comment, but so far have not heard back. And our thanks to Michael Anthony at KFYR for that update. And sugar beet farmers are among those taking part in protests half a world away this week in Paris. Reuters reporting French farmers drove their tractors into the city to protest against pesticide restrictions along with other environmental regulations. Now it comes after an EU court last month overturned a French policy that allows sugar beet growers to use an insecticide ban by the EU. The farmers protesting say the pesticide curbs go against the French government's call to boost food security following the pandemic and the war in Ukraine. Ag officials have come up with a final dollar figure on the damage caused by Hurricane Ian last year. University of Florida economists putting the price tag at $1.03 billion. That's the total value of crops, livestock, nursery and aquaculture products they say can't be harvested or marketed because of the damage caused by the Category 4 storm. That crossed the state back in September. Now, they estimated the state's citrus crop saw the biggest losses, totaling more than $247 million. As we reported yesterday, the state's orange crop is expected to be the smallest in nearly 90 years. That was followed by vegetables and melons and greenhouses. One economist says the impacts were made worse by Hurricane Nicole and hard freezes that happened in January and December of last year. Now, they say many of the same areas impacted by Ian were also hit by other weather events. More snow and rain is moving into the West Coast. Meteorologist Chuck Heaver joins us with a look ahead. Okay, let's take around the country and look at our root zone. We have, of course, moist conditions out to the west, but up in the Pacific Northwest, still dry in the center part of the country, that pesky extreme area there, it's tough to dent into. But in the Pacific Northwest, we're going to see some showers pushing. You can see that over towards uh, Portland, up by Vancouver, and down to the southeast, we're going to see rain showers, and that'll put a dent in that condition down there as well. We're going to pile up a lot of rain and precipitation in those areas. Okay, now talk about a mixed bag of weather. Carrie Ness of St. Paul, Minnesota is sharing this video of thunder, lightning, and yes, grapple. That's a lot for one day. I'll have more on your forecast coming up. It was a risk-off day as traders pull profits from grains. We'll talk markets coming up next.
and later meet a farmer in Arkansas finding ways to diversify his operation. And how did this grass end up underfoot at some pretty impressive stadiums, including for this weekend's Super Bowl in the country? Ag Day is brought to you by Germinator Closing Wheels. Perfected in conventional, excels in no-till. Order 12 to 16 rows today and qualify for free shipping or 20% off an end zone moisture management package. The world's largest agribusiness company, Bayer, will soon have a new CEO. Bill Anderson will be taking over as of June 1st. The company says current CEO Werner Baumann will be working closely with Anderson on a smooth transition. Baumann is retiring from Bayer after 35 years with the company. Anderson previously held senior leadership positions with Roche, Bogan, and Ray Kim. While Anderson is from the U.S., he will be based at Bayer's headquarters in Germany. Traders pulling profits off the table on Thursday, pushing grains lower. Michelle Rook returns today's Markets Now. Markets mostly lower in the grains on Thursday. Chuck Shelby, Risk Management Commodities, is joining us. And uh, Chuck, corn and wheat, how much of that was just some profit taking as we can't seem to take out the upper end of these trading ranges we keep hanging in? No, we're, we're very range bound. We go to the upper end and then we find reasons to go to the lower end. I think uh, as we go forward, uh, going into Friday here, we should be able to see these markets uh, hold here and bounce, uh, see if we get any new news fundamentally to change things. Uh, soybean meal market was uh, very strong and, and maybe that could be our leader, but technically that spread between the oil and the meal uh, probably created some of that uh, positives in the meal and, and we'll see how that goes on Friday here. Yeah, and I'm sure we're putting in a little of that Argentina weather premium in the meal, but like you say, these meal oil spread on be, spreads being unwound has been a big play here in the soybeans and they kind of got stuck in the middle. So what do you think it is moving forward that's going to be able to get some of these grains out of these trading ranges that we're in? We really need to see some uh, big exports come our way, uh, in particular corn. Uh, that's the market that's been behind. Uh, going forward, can we find the Chinese or other demand come to us? Uh, when you look at the bean market, uh, meal seems to be a pretty solid export business, but again, uh, we need to see that come our way. Wheat's kind of the same situation. We need to see world buyers decide to step up and, and purchase in large quantities, not these smaller quantities. You bet. So we either need some demand or we need a crop problem somewhere. And right now we've already kind of, we've kind of played that card already here in terms of the South American weather premium in uh, like especially the soybean market, haven't we? It, it's getting to be old news. Right. And uh, that, that's played out in the market, and I think it really comes down to demand uh, for U.S. Uh, grains. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. That is Chuck Shelby, Risk Management Commodities, and we'll have more Ag Day coming up. Just Chuck Heaver joining us here, taking a look at our national forecast. And, you know, we've kind of worked our way through some, some systems this week, but yeah. there's still a couple corners there. We're seeing a little bit of, uh, you know, weather that's happening. Right. Yeah, the northwest 
and the southeast. Well, that pesky wind field that pushed through the Midwest will now impact the northeast. We'll see wind gusts easily in the 30 40 mile per hour range throughout the day on Friday. And with that, that slowly works its way out. Things start to calm down a bit. And really, the only impacts for us are going to be the northwest and the southeast. As I had mentioned before, we're going to get a lot of rain down in the southeast. The Pacific Northwest will see rain coming in off the uh, ocean there and then down in the Gulf of Mexico. This frontal boundary in association with that storm will line up and provide a lot of rain down there and some rainfall totals down there will be pretty impressive in southern Georgia and through the Carolinas and northern Florida. And then that slowly works its way out to the east. Let's take a look at the precipitation down here. You can see easily amounts over three to five inches. And so in some locations, you'll have to watch for that. Okay, so this storm pushes out. Still the Arctic air is bottled up to the north, more zonal. A couple disturbances will move across the country, but it's still mild for this time of the year. A couple lobes work their way down into the Great Lakes region and then off to the west. And you can see this splits off, forms a storm, and then works its way slowly to the east in the latter part of next week. Okay, so for Chicago, 33 today for the high, and uh, Seattle, 52. That cold air has worked its way back in, but then that's going to rebound, and those warmer temperatures are going to move up to the north. For the lows tonight, let's take a look here, and we'll see Chicago. See, it's still staying around 31. They're going to be on a rebound, 56 over in Miami and Salt Lake City tonight. 23 degrees. There's the rebound temperatures back up. You have to keep in mind in areas like Chicago, the average high this time of the year is in the low 30. So 45 degree high is pretty impressive. And Phoenix, wow, 76 degrees. That's why we live in the desert Southwest. All right, let's take a look closer to home. South Bend, Indiana, 35-22, mostly cloudy, but clouds break in the afternoon. Rockport, Washington, snow showers, 35, low 30, and Salt Lake City, Utah, sunny, high 39, low 20. For many farmers, diversification is the secret to survival. The Arkansas Farm Bureau recently spoke with farmer Dennis Taylor, who isn't taking any snow days. Grew up on a dairy farm up in Fulton County, just not far from here. In 1983, my dad decided that he wanted to maybe get in a little feed business, so we actually came down here and got started in that and then sold out of the dairy business. For us to survive on this farm, we've just had to, you know, uh, look at different things to do and try to incorporate everything into one, and it's worked well for us. We've been blessed. Been on this farm since probably about uh, 92. Raised hogs for years and kind of got out of that and we're working at the feed mill and actually owned the feed mill for a while. And got into the beef cattle probably about 95 or 96 and kind of got into some purebred Angus and red Angus. Kept the fertilizer business and we still do that in the spring season, a little bit in fall. Kind of our way of life. The hardest thing is we're calving in the spring also. We'll start our spring calvers about the end of February, and of course that's always running in with fertilizer season. But we are leaning more toward calving in the fall, and we've actually got probably 60% of our cows calving in the fall now, and that makes it a lot easier. I'm kind of a self-employed, only one taking care of stuff on the fertilizer end, and it can get really busy trying to keep all your customers happy and everything. Growing up on the dairy farm taught you that uh, no matter what day it was or what the weather was like, you, you had 
to be at that barn twice a day milking those cows. I had parents that taught me that at a young age, and I'm proud of that, and I've been able to carry that with me all these years. I guess the favorite part of farming for me is the fact that I can actually just kind of be out here with the cattle, kind of get away from everything. It's nice a lot of the time just to be able to do that. I would recommend this life to anyone as long as they're willing to put in the time. It definitely takes time and effort. Even on Sunday mornings, you've got to get out and take care of these cattle and see to it that everything's good. Our thanks to the Arkansas Farm Bureau for sharing that story. Up next, the star of the Super Bowl may not be on the field. It may be the field. Why this turf is finding its way to so many stadiums in the country. In the Country on Ag Day is brought to you by Pivot Bio. What if you had the nitrogen you need already on seed? Pivot Bio is the first company to apply nitrogen on seed. The nitrogen you need, now on seed from Pivot Bio. Learn more at pivotbio.com. There's a little football game happening this weekend in Glendale, Arizona, and as Lyndall Stout of Oklahoma State University's Son of TV shows us, the real star may be the turf itself. Oklahoma State University's Turfgrass Research Center is once again in the national spotlight, this time for Super Bowl 57. Tahoma 31, developed by OSU scientists, was selected for the playing field at State Farm Stadium in Glendale, Arizona. Turf grass breeding program really has focused on developing varieties that are tough. Tahoma 31 is also resilient, has a fine texture, darker green color, and can handle drought, cold, and shade. Plant breeder Dr. Yan Shi Wu is on the turf development team. Not many Bermuda grass see the shade tolerance, but this Tahoma 31. So all these components put together make this grass is robust in many aspects, so adapted to many locations. A new turf grass variety takes 10 to 15 years to research and develop. The extensive testing takes place in the greenhouse, the lab, and in the field, and can include more than 1,000 experimental plants. The best variety is then patented and released commercially. We, we have no involvement in the selling of the product itself. It's just simply the development of it to uh, really try to solve specific problems. So uh, let's say for instance this year we had a very tough drought year. And so we have some grasses that have some specific characteristics that really handle the drought very well, like perhaps an enhanced root system. And so those are the kinds of characteristics that a breeder is looking for. Royalties from the patents come back to the university for further research. And, and at the same time, we've got the next generations of materials in the pipeline that are experimental to be rolled out. Turfgrass breeding programs were originally developed in order to develop forages for cattle and sheep uh, to, you know, to, for food production. But in the process, we learned a lot about how grasses behave and different kinds of grasses. And lo and behold, it turns out Bermuda grass is a tremendous grass for playing surfaces. And great for advancing science. Very proud uh, when you start thinking about uh, the reach that we have for our turf grass. We have it in Soldier Field, but we also have it at Churchill Downs. We have it at the Capitol Building in Washington, D.C. Uh, and then to have it in two
playoff games, uh, two different ones, and then the Super Bowl, I don't know if anybody could ever claim that they had plant material that people were playing on and the performance of that. That's really astounding. For Oklahoma State University, I'm Lyndall Stout. Our thanks to Lyndall Stout and Son of TV for sharing that story with us. And that's all the time we have this morning. We're sure glad you tuned in. From all of us here at Agda, I'm Clinton Griffiths. Have a great day.